Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. President Obama made the announcement that his choice is a Merrick Garland, but he's going one step farther than that. He's using his speech today to make an open appeal for Republicans to uh, take up and vote on Judge Garland. Is that likely to happen? What kind of choices he made? Let's ask a legal analyst extraordinaire, Adam White. Adam, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Michael. So what do you mean, what should the average person know about Judge Merrick Garland? Well, Judge Garland has been the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit for a few years. He was appointed to that court uh, in the about halfway through the Clinton administration. Uh, before that, he served in the Clinton Justice Department. Uh, but what, as far as uh, rulings or uh, temperament or anything related to his position on the Supreme Court, what should the average non-legal person know? Oh uh, well, the basic bottom line is Justice. Garland most likely will be uh, a liberal constitutionalist in line with, say, Kagan and Breyer. Those are the most likely sort of points of reference for Judge uh, Garland's record. Uh, there will be a, you know, no shortage of things said about him. One thing you'll find, though, is there's, there's certainly no obvious commitment to uh, the originalism of his, uh, of his, predecessor, his would-be predecessor, Justice Scalia. Um, it's, it's, his pick is sort of a, is very much a conventional, uh, liberal, uh, liberal judge. Does he have a personal relationship that would make it more likely that the uh, Senate would change its current position, which is to simply wait to fill this vacancy until after the people have spoken in the election? I don't think so. I think, I, I'm not aware of a personal connection. I, I think it seems at first glance what President Obama is trying to do is taking uh, is is he's not he's not taking a real flamethrower judge uh, flamethrower candidate Judge Garland's opinions are often uh, on their face sort of in an understated tone mm-hmm. and I think he's hoping that uh, a critical mass of Senate Republicans will decide to basically defer to the president's selection of a Supreme Court justice. Uh, the uh, argument for deference that the president makes that we don't have extended uh, vacancies, there's no reason for you to wait. Uh, you know, the, the line that we've heard a lot of, Adam, which is a president is a president for a full eight years, not just for seven years. And therefore, it shouldn't matter that there's a uh, an election on the horizon. H- how much weight do those arguments have based on history and what what you know? Well, a president is president for four years, but a Supreme Court justice might serve for life. And so I think that it strains a little, it strains credulity to suggest that a president uh, elected to a four-year term uh, has an obvious entitlement to whoever he wants to serve on the court well past the end of his own term. Um, now, over... T- from time to time, and oftentimes, the Senate has has uh, been rather deferential to a president's nominations. Of course, that wasn't the case for the last few presidents, where there wasn't a whole lot of deference shown at all to President, the most recent President Bush's appointments. There certainly wasn't deference shown to the Clarence Thomas appointment or the Robert Bork nomination. Um, Republicans were, for a time, more solicitous of the Senate, of uh, the Democratic president's nominations. Uh, Republicans in the Senate confirmed the Breyer and Garland nominations. But, of course, in those cases, President Clinton reached out ahead of time to Republican senators seeking their input on who a consensus nominee might be. And, of course, those nominations nearly 20 years ago um, are from a much different time in terms of the uh, public awareness of what the court does 
um, and the importance of, uh, of originalist jurisprudence in keeping judges restrained from imposing their own policy views uh, on the public through the courts. If you were going to point at one or two rulings that Judge uh, Garland has made, what would those rulings be? You know, I have I have to admit, I don't have one or two right off the top of my head. Okay. What Judge Garland is most famous for, and I think this is one of the things that the president is probably banking on, is he came to the court as very much a, a law and order uh, with a law and order reputation, he had helped prosecute the Oklahoma City bombers, and in fact, in the Obama administration, there were rumblings that he might have been a, uh, a, a possibility for a cabinet post, maybe attorney general, or uh, or or um, Homeland uh, Security. Homeland Security. That's right. Um, but I think what you'll find is a long record of Judge Garland's opinions deferring to pretty significant action by agencies, the EPA and the other regulatory agencies. Um, that come through the uh, the D.C. Circuit often, really no support for the Second Amendment cases that came through the D.C. Circuit in which the, the Supreme Court ultimately recognized the right to bear arms that the D.C. Circuit had avoided uh, recognizing. Um, so there isn't, and I've only begin, begun to look back and reacquaint myself with, with his most significant opinions. I think the key here is not one or two smoking gun opinions that the public should seize upon, but rather a much broader body of work which reflects two things. One, an absence of a commitment to, excuse me, to originalism, uh, and two, really the absence of a firm judicial methodology at all. Mm-hmm. And two, a consistent record of deference to uh, agency action, uh, which may have not been so controversial 20 years ago. But today, as we see ever broader applications of power and ever more creative attempts to regulate outside of the law, outside of legal process by the agencies, I think those commitments by Judge Garland and similar, similar judges on the D.C. Circuit and elsewhere, I think, become much more uh, they become much more deserving of scrutiny by Congress, especially at a time when Congress is focused more and more on reining in excess by the executive branch and the agencies. One last question for you, and, and Adam, even though you're a legal scholar, I'm going to ask you to be you know, put on your political analysis hat here. The argument is, guys, this is as good as you're going to get. And if Hillary Clinton's the next president of the United States, her nominee is not going to be uh, you know, Merrick Garland is going to be someone more in the cut of, say, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg and farther left. Is this a candidate? In other words, should Republicans seize on this and go, OK, we'll just take this and uh, and we'll be happy to have it? Or should they continue their strategy going forward? Well, you know, it reminds me of a line from The Simpsons where uh, the lawyer Lionel Hutz tells the judge, uh, that's why you're the judge and I'm the law-talking guy. Um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask for political advice. I mean, quite frankly, Judge Garland is going to be more attractive to, uh, to, to moderate senators of either political stripe than would, say, a real flame-throwing, uh, you know, vocal liberal judge but I think it's no less important to keep in mind that what I said earlier, the broader absence of a of a judicial methodology and the, the, the broad solicitousness right. towards the agencies. And so I don't doubt that what the president is banking on here is trying to attract um, – is, is trying to con- convince uh, a critical mass of Republican senators to go back on the basic commitment against 
deciding uh, this nomination in this election cycle. I'm not sure how it's going to play out, though. And I think, it's, you know, you see, Michael, that you see in past nomination fights, the senators relitigating the most recent political wars. Right. So in the Roberts Alito fights, there was a lot of focus on um, war powers, executive power in times of war. With Sotomayor and Kagan, obviously, they were looking back at the, the, the fights over gun rights and so on. I think this case, I think this nomination, especially since it comes for a, comes with a judge from the D.C. Circuit, I think it's going to focus a lot of attention on the relationship between the administrative state, the president, the courts, and Congress. And I think given that backdrop, I think it's going to – I think it's, senators will have to ask very hard questions of themselves before they race to confirm this nomination. Legal scholar Adam White, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.